Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Morning, six, Taylor and Jen. What is going on over there? Why are there flaming skillets falling from the sky? <laughs> it's funny, when you're getting to know new people, it, it does seem as though there's this one topic that usually comes up. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, do you play board games? Is it, it does. Doesn't it come it up? It does. Well, I mean, they, they've almost got like a resurgence in the last few years. Either, either you're the type of person that, you know, enjoys and plays board games or it kind of seems like you're not. Some families have this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Where they have board game night or they have a board game that's like a family tradition. I mean, board games, especially during the pandemic among families, that was a big deal. But it can also get a little unexpectedly serious. Unexpectedly? Well, okay, yeah, maybe you come to expect it, and turns out, it's not just you, it's science. Science! Science! You mean there's a science to board games? Well, there's a scientific study about them. Okay, what does it say? So, this was a a survey uh, that was done by Z-Man Games. Okay. I don't know what that organization is. They sound very credible. (laughs) But they found that one in five families say their game nights are often or always disrupted by competitive or unfriendly behavior. That's 20%. 20% people <laughs> quit because they're losing. They accuse someone else of cheating. People get in arguments. And do you, do you want to just take a wild guess at what the number one offending board game is? My guess is it's not Scrabble. No, it's not Scrabble. It's Monopoly. Oh, yeah! Right? Oh, well, our family starts fighting because we all want the shoe. <laughs> I always liked the thimble when I was younger. <laughs> Why? Because you could put your finger in it? It's a game piece you can wear. <laughs> it's science with Taylor mm-hmm. and Jen, although this one is more psychology. A little bit of sociology it's here. sociology with Taylor and Jen. 20% of families in the United States have had to either ban board games or ban someone from board games because families become too competitive. They, they get a little heated. <laughs> it gets, you know, there's arguments, people trying to cheat. Uh, apparently, this doesn't just happen with board games. You know, you'd think puzzles would be relaxing, but my family can make it a competition. What would be relaxing? Puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles? puzzles? It is a competition. It is a competition. It's gotten to the point where, you know, sometimes you don't enjoy them anymore. Or you got to pick the certain people to do this because you know they won't be competitive. My son, especially, has been known to take a piece so that he can always have the last piece. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) How old is your son? Right now, he's 26. But this is, you know, 15 years has been going on. Oh, my goodness. It is fraught with peril. Fraught. And heated exchanges. I mean, tested friendships. Board games bring out something, especially in families or groups of people. I mean, if you think about it, it it's kind of ridiculous, but it does bring out things in people. And if you've had to ban something or someone on board game night, we want to know about that. What about a, a certain game? And that's what Lindsay and I have had to do. You've had to ban game. There's uh, only two of you. We've had to ban an entire category of games because of how competitive we get. Okay. I, can I just re- reiterate? There's only two of you. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of competition. We're both very, very competitive. And so we have had to ban playing together any and all board games or video games that involve us competing against each other. 
Well, what other type is there? There are cooperative games where you are competing against the board itself and you are working together to do things. Or a video game where you're competing against the computer. Exactly. So you guys always have to be on the same team. Yes, because early in our marriage, I might have made a very strategic move in a game. It was exactly the right move. It was a very effective move. Be careful. She might be listening. It was really good in the game, but not so much in our marriage. So we no more head to head games for me and Lindsay board games. <laughs> when I say that word, you either have one of two reactions. You think, oh, fun or oh, no competition. I do really like board games, but I, I pretty much play them always with very competitive people. And so things can get a little heated. Well, you're not alone. 20% of American families say they've either had to ban a board game or ban people from playing board games because they get too competitive. And Kelly has seen this begin. I think the competition starts real young. When I worked as a teacher, I had a little boy that was five that was having a struggle. I almost thought, you know what, I bet that was like Taylor, maybe, when he was little. (laughs) Could have been. It was such a struggle. And so I worked with them and said, okay, when you play games, it's really fun. You make friends, like you smile at the other person, you take turns. I went over this big, huge thing, and he was completely on board. And then at the end, I said, okay, I think that we'll go get a friend, and you can get started. And he said, you know, all that stuff you said is fine, but really, it's about strategy. (laughs) (laughs) He was five? Five. He knows how to win. I know. I thought, sweetie, it's going to be a bigger struggle than we think. Well, if you're like 20% of American families... (laughs) Competition brings out the worst in you. Yep. They've had to ban someone or a board game from being played because of what happens when you play board games with your family. Yes, Steve has seen this up close and personal. My sister, who is... She's like the best person in the world. She's she's fantastic. Uh, she does children's ministry. She yeah. she is a wonderful person. There's a but however. Coming here. I was there, say, there is a but or a however coming. There's a, there's a big however. <laughs> <laughs> Our family is competitive, uh-huh. and we were playing taboo, and we were playing taboo with like the in-laws. Okay. No. Okay. So yeah. Right? I'm the younger brother, so I did something. I don't know what I did, but I did something, and it made her mad. And she said, stop it, or I will punch you in your face. Whoa! (laughs) This is my sister who has worked in a church-slash-camp setting her entire life. It all boiled up to that moment. Apparently... The younger brother can do that to even the most perfect person. Oh, absolutely. As an older brother, I can can relate. I'm the oldest sister of a younger brother, and yes! We learned something that was not new information yesterday. What? That board games make people really angry and competitive. It's ridiculous what it can do to some families and friend groups. And, And that's the thing, is you see a whole new side of people sometimes... I'm sensing a story. Well, there are certain games. Let's move beyond board games because there is a video game that if you've played it, you know what it can do to your relationships. What? Have you ever played Mario Party? No, I've never played any video games. It's like a video game of a board game. So Mario... Mario Party. Mario Party. So it's it's all the Mario guys. There's Mario Mario, and Bridges Peach. (laughs) And then through the video game, you're rolling dice and playing all these little mini games. Okay. All right. It gets vicious. It, uh, 
Really vicious? These little cartoon men. They're little cartoon men. How can it be vicious? Well, it was the first big fight Lindsay and I had as a married couple was over Mario Party. Okay. And then uh, we might have made the mistake of playing Mario Party with my pastor and his wife. Wait a minute. When we were living in Dallas. Your pastor? Yeah. He and his wife were good friends and we had him over. We're like, hey, we have the new Mario Party. We should all play. And was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. It was not fun. It was not fun. We learned our pastor is a very competitive man, but he also was very bad at video games. <laughs> so we were destroying my pastor at Mario Party. He was getting very frustrated. And you found out about your pastor that? He's a regular person who hates losing at video games. <laughs> I mean, they're just like, wow, <laughs> them, you know, there's that person. Even maybe when you were a kid, maybe even now that you're like, Oh, they're just really cool. It's like a celebrity, a parent, a teacher. And then you find out that they're just human. And that's okay because it's okay to be human, but it does take them down a notch or two. I remember as a little girl, I asked my mother about our doctor. I said, he's a doctor. He shouldn't have to wear glasses. (laughs) (laughs) He can heal anybody. So why does he need glasses? That is an excellent point. What did she say? She said he's human. (laughs) Yeah, doctors are perfect, right? Ask Taylor. He's married to one. Uh, Yeah. I don't don't think there's an easy way out of that question. (laughs) Poor thing. You were... It feels like a trap. I mean, Lindsay would be the first person to admit that she's not perfect. And I would be the last. And she... (laughs) I can still remember the moment when I realized that my dad wasn't really a superhero. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You grew up and he's so much taller than you and he knows so many things. I mean, he could flip me. Yeah. You know, for those of us that got to grow up with really great dads, which Taylor and I both had really great dads, I kind of did revere him. Mm -hmm. You look up to him. He's the first one, kind of. He's kind of like this. (gasps) Yeah. Kind of thing. But I remember, I think I was an young teenager. Okay. And I can still see it in my mind. I was walking up our driveway. We had a long driveway. My dad was mowing the front lawn and we had a very big slopey front lawn like yours. Mm -hmm. And my guess is that he had just one afternoon to fit this in and he didn't have an awful lot of time to do it because (laughs) he's still out on his undershirt, you know, like his Uh t-shirt that he wore underneath his dress clothes that he wore to teach in. So he has an undershirt on with his khaki work shorts. Okay. And he had black socks. Oh, boy. And sandals on. Yes. So black socks, sandals, khaki shorts, and a white undershirt. And he was mowing the lawn. And I remembered looking at him going, my dad's just a a guy. He's he's just a human being. And, and he was there mowing in that ridiculous outfit. And then I was like, huh. <laughs> that makes me love him even more. Grab your fuzzy blanket. Come on up to the fire. We're going to tell stories <laughs> way back when. The things that we did when we got bored. Me and all the neighborhood kids, we had a cornfield across the street from our house, which is now like homes. But when I was a kid, it was a cornfield, and we played Charlie's Angels <laughs> <laughs> in the corn <laughs> cornfield. Who did you get to be? Oh, I was Bree, because I have the dark hair. I yeah. wasn't necessarily skinny like Bree, but I had the dark hair. <laughs> so we built a fort in the next-door neighbor's clubhouse, and 
my neighbor, the mom, called my mom one night wondering if I had run away from home because there were like silverware in there. It was like a house all set up. (laughs) And she was like, it just concerned me when I went out there and there's like pillows and blankets and silverware and cups. And we didn't bother to ask. We just did. Picture, if you will. Oh, boy. A Thursday morning. Thursday? It's like August 21st. Not quite in school yet, but parents are back at work, and you and your siblings are home alone. <laughs> Got nothing to do. You've read all the books you have. You've played all your video games. You're, You're not allowed any more screen time. <laughs> kind of sitting around the house trying to figure out what to do with your time. How old are you? Uh, Nate and I, we would have been like 10 and 12, something okay. like that. Okay. And so we were sitting in the living room watching PBS, because that's what you watch when you get bored. <laughs> And they had some documentary about this, like, jungle tribe and how they would make their food. And they talked about, you know, they they could make bread by, you know, pounding flour and water into these basins and stuff. And Which one of you looked at the other one and said? Oh, it was the same time. (laughs) We looked at each other. We said... There's flour in the pantry. Yes, there is. And there's water in the faucet. (laughs) We're going to make bread. And so we just got a bowl out, and we dumped some flour in there, poured a little water on top, and we mixed it up. <laughs> and then and you like, were like, okay, this is a paste. Well, yeah, well, first we were like, well, it needs some flavor, and so we put some salt and butter on it. <laughs> and then we were like, okay, time to cook it. And we stuck it in the microwave for, like, what's a reasonable time? Five minutes? <laughs> is five minutes reasonable for this? <laughs> do you know what burning flour smells like, Jen? Because I do. <laughs> You've heard the phrase, nature abhors a vacuum, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So when you have a bunch of kids, and they have nothing to do. (laughs) That's a vacuum. (laughs) And nature abhors it because Kelly does stuff. I had four siblings, and we lived in the country. And whenever we were in the car, we drove by this house that was like, I don't know, probably two miles maybe from our house. And my mom went on and on about how she loved this cherry tree every time. And so she'd say, everybody as we go by, I mean, I'm sure she was just trying to entertain us because it's boring and it's in the car. How many cherries do you think are on that tree? And we would like, guess, and we loved it. And it was a perfect cherry tree. Well, when she and my dad went on a date one night, we thought that she would be thrilled. We couldn't bring her the cherry tree, but we rode our bikes the two miles and picked every cherry off the tree. Oh, Oh, no. And took them home to her. Because she'd be so excited. I'm sure she would. <laughs> yep, we wrote I love you notes and left them on the kitchen counter with a big bucket of cherries when we went to the <laughs> Oh. How did, how did your mom respond? My dad said she got teary, and I don't know if she was teary that she was so blessed with such wonderful children or if she had to take the cherries back. <laughs> I love how these stories have evolved from you and me being just mischievous to well-intentioned children wanting to help and it kind of going wrong. Yeah, that happened to you, Frank? One time I thought I was going to help my grandma. She was on her way home from the store and I said, well, I'm going to turn on the stove, warm the stove and the frying pan up. Well, you should never put oil on to number 10 on on the electric stove. Whoa! In 10 minutes. I had at least three foot flames. I didn't panic too bad because I knew if if I could get it out the kitchen window, we'd be doing great. You know, so I am going with probably both hands on the frying pan towards the window and realize 
the curtains are there. No! Now, if you throw them fast enough through the curtains, it's not going to catch anything on fire. I'm super quick at eight years old, you know. But, yeah, I got it out the window, and we were up two stories, so I threw it out there, and, boy, it made a pass down there on the fence. Oh, my goodness. My grandpa was living. You man. threw a flaming uh, frying pan out a second story window. Yes, with with the oil in it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Can you imagine being the people in the floor below? <laughs> what is going on over there? Why are there flaming skillets falling from the sky? <laughs> I got this text from my son yesterday. Okay. Benjamin. Mom, what's the best thing to get someone who can't eat actual food? Can't eat actual food. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, of course, I gave him a complete list of a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Applesauce, cottage cheese, tapioca, milkshake or smoothie, mm. mashed potatoes, drinkable yogurt, popsicles. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get her a milkshake. His girlfriend, Chase, who's my friend's daughter, had all four of her wisdom teeth taken out. Oh, boy. Yep. That's and a party. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's really not a party. (laughs) Sweetheart, Chase, if you're listening, I'm praying that you continue to get better. And Ben really tried his best to try to be by your side and help you. But, oh, wow. I mean, did you ever get your wisdom teeth taken out? I I, I got all four out at the same time, too. And and how did you do afterwards? I actually did really well. So did I. Did you? Yeah. We're just champs. (laughs) And there's not an awful lot you can do to our mouths to keep them from working. (laughs) (laughs) But Chase has had a little bit of a harder time. And so he got her milkshake. Isn't that something you're not supposed to get someone? Can't well, you get dry socket from that? Well, you can't suck it through the straw. Okay, but so, she can just drink it like a... What you didn't know is in the next text I sent him, I said, make sure that you give her a spoon. Oh, good. Because she cannot drink out of a straw. At least that's how it used to be. Yeah. Wisdom teeth surgery. It's kind of a big deal. It is? And I think everybody has a story around Strange it. Strange things happen <laughs> when you're recovering from wisdom teeth. <laughs> I know. Your boyfriend has to text his mom and ask her what I can feed you. (laughs) Ah, wisdom teeth. (laughs) Often they have to come out. Often it means there's a good story. Especially when there is laughing gas involved. You know, I'm a Christian and I heard people talk about how if they had a surgery, they would pray with their surgeon before the surgery as a testimony to them. And I thought, well, that's really cool. And so, uh, you know, this was my first quote-unquote surgery, this wisdom teeth extraction back in college. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, what they failed to mention, and I'd just like to pass along to everybody else as a life lesson, is you probably should pray with your surgeon before they start giving you the laughing gas. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he started giving me the gas. I said, hey, can I pray with you? I have no idea what I said after that. I have no idea how long I went on, if I prayed to God, or... If I sounded like the priest in uh, Princess Bride, I don't know. And finally, he reached over and squeezed my hand and said, Amen. Thank you. (laughs) There's something special that happens when someone close to you gets wheeled into the office. They get the laughing gas and they get teeth removed. And you hear about what happened after the laughing gas came down. I have a friend, because I'm not going to tell him myself. I have a friend who got his wisdom teeth removed. Okay. And he noticed that the uh, nurse administering the laughing gas was kind of cute. Oh, no. And as he's getting this medication, he thinks in his head, I should flirt with her. Oh, no. By acting like a lion. What? And so he, he started roaring at her. 
But when you have laughing gas, the best roar you can muster is like a rawr. And I don't think she ever went on a date with him. Are you kidding me? Justin was a bit of a ladies' man. No, he wasn't. Well, he stepped up to the plate a lot. There were a few strikeouts. How did he do that roar again? Rawr. You know, as soon as you say the words wisdom teeth, people are like, oh, yeah, I remember. I I got a story. I got a story. So we want to hear what's your story, Paul. I had my wisdom teeth out a few decades ago, and my mom, God rest her soul, was uh, so kind to take me to the, uh, the dentist to have this done. I just remember back in those days, they used to put a little ice bag around the the area of the jaw where they took the wisdom teeth out. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they gave you some good drugs as well. And when she came back to pick me up, she exclaimed, I brought in my son and you gave me back a chipmunk. (laughs) And I remember Alvin and Theodore and Simon going around and around on my record player. And my first thought was, which of the chipmunks do I look the most like, Alvin or Theodore or Simon? I had so much anesthesia that my mom said I kept asking, which chipmunk do I look like? Which chipmunk do I look like? When we had the opportunity to talk to Rhett Walker, was it last year? Yep. And he told us some of his story. You and I were both like, wow. Yeah. That's seriously powerful. He was able to really open up and tell us about some of the stuff in his life that God has done cool stuff with. And it started with when he got married. We dated two months before we got married. No way. That's fast. We've been married for 16 years this year. I was 17 and she was 18 and I'm a pastor's kid, if that paints the picture for you any. Honestly, it was it was crazy. We found out she was pregnant. As a pastor's kid, I knew enough Jesus to get out of trouble. Mm. You know, I could throw scripture at something. And in that moment, I knew there was no throwing scripture or saying the right thing. This was something I had to, to man up and take care of. And so we said, man, we've already made this a mess. So, Jesus, here's our lives, whatever you want. Jesus, here's our marriage. We'll mess that up if we're in control and our eyes are on you. And Jesus, here's this new little baby girl. you got to help us raise this girl or we'll mess that up. And so two months we dated and we got married. Now we're 16 years. I'm 33, 34, and we got four. Hmm. Four kids, 15, 13, 8, and 2. Dude. Wow. You know, it's really cool to travel around. And get to tell that story because, you know, everybody hasn't been through that, per se, but they've been through trials and they've been through hard times. They've been through them. What am I going to do moments? Yeah. And so to be able to then tell them my story and then after that, go, look, that's a good story. That has nothing to do with threat in April. It has to do with how big of a God we serve, that he takes all of our junk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, even salvation, we don't offer anything. We can bring nothing to the table. So to be able to go like, God looked at Rhett in April, who had tried to mess up things, and he said, you were still worth sending my son to die on the cross. Mm-hmm. Like, being able to tell that story and remind people is, I wouldn't trade it for anything. My father would make no bones about the fact that when he and his brothers were growing up and his one sister, they were hooligans. <laughs> hooligans. Hooligans. That would be the word yeah. that my dad would use. So much so that um, whenever our family watches the movie Shawshank Redemption, because Shawshank Redemption is 
the story of a man who's in prison in in Maine. Mm -hmm. And my dad's younger brother, my Uncle Jimmy, was actually in prison in Maine. He went to prison when he was 15. Mm. It was because of something that happened on a hunting trip. And I'll spare you all the details. But when dad watches Shawshank Redemption about a prison in Maine, he always thinks about his brother. Now, my Uncle Jimmy only spent two years there. And then he was um, actually granted a full pardon by the governor of the state of Maine. But because of his time there and because of the lessons that he learned and the way God got a hold of him at that point, my Uncle Jimmy became not a hooligan, but a believer. Oh, wow. Now, right around that time, my father, his older brother, also became a believer. And then my dad's twin brother also became a Mm. believer. And all of my cousins now on that side of the family, Christopher and Adam and Emily and all of them and all of their husbands or wives and all of their children, all of them, they're all believers as well. All because of something that happened on a very fateful day when my Uncle Jimmy was 15 years old. Mm. And God used it not just to redeem him, but to redeem an entire family. That's incredible. And I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be my grandpa and grandma at that time, watching that happen. But now with hindsight, I can look back and go, oh, wow, God. Yeah. You think you know exactly where your life is going. (laughs) And you think you have a really good plan for how it's going to work out. Yeah. Lindsay and I were living in Dallas, Texas, and the plan was for her to go to one of the Dallas, Texas medical schools. I would keep on working at the radio station. I was working down there in Dallas, and that was going to be how we'd go through our life. It seemed like it made a lot of sense. Sure. We've been living there. Your family was there. And then there was this sequence of events over the course of about two months that just left us devastated. Mm. Um, in the span of about two months, my, my wife's brother died on my birthday. I figured out that the radio station I was working for was going to be sold and I was going to be out of a job. And to add injury to insult, I was in a head-on collision on the highway, completely totaled my car, had a massive concussion. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. And I just remember coming out of that and, I mean, just totally bewildered, not really sure what was going on. It was like every plan we had and every little piece of good we had had just been dashed and completely destroyed. And what ended up happening, Lindsay started applying for medical schools outside of the state of Texas because all of a sudden we didn't have my job tying us there. Right. And she found this opening at Des Moines University. She has family in central Iowa. Mm -hmm. And as she was looking there, I found an open position at Life 107.1. Oh, that radio station. And literally the day that I applied for this position, Lindsay got accepted to Des Moines University. (laughs) Now, here's the other crazy thing. Remember how I totaled my car? At the time, we had two itty-bitty Toyota cars. Since I totaled the one, we ended up getting a larger vehicle, which made it easier for us to move across the country. And the thing that we really realized through all of this, God doesn't waste stuff. It would be really easy to look at everything that happened in Texas and to say, you know what, that was just meaningless chaos. But God bends all those ugly things together and he incorporates them into our stories and he doesn't just let them happen without meaning. So even the things that I don't fully understand, I can trust God has made meaning out of enough of my suffering 
that he's going to do it with the other stuff I don't understand. The Taylor and Jen Podcast is a product of Northwestern Media, a ministry of the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.